And we appreciate you and appreciate you being here this morning. We're glad to share that you're here to share in this service with us. And um, I'm glad we finally got this side kind of balanced off a little bit here, Jerry. There's it's, it's a lot more. Sometimes you feel you look out there and you see one side is heavier than the other when you feel like you're going, you know, tip off to one side. So I think we're a little more balanced this morning. Okay. Well, I don't have any monumental announcements to make other than um, uh, I would say that uh, I have scheduled for September the 13th a missionary to the Jews, not surely, this is another one, uh, a guy I've known for quite a long time, Fred Bennett, and he's going to come be with us on September 13th in preparation for or in view of um, the Jewish holidays that are coming up right then, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, and so on. And so he's going to take the Sunday school class that day and the worship service that morning, and he was giving, even in, uh, there was something else too, I didn't know what that, I wasn't familiar with it, some other thing he gave there, but he said, you know, <laughs> he said, okay, we'll mark it on the calendar. He said, it's a, I guess it was something like a, a Jewish deal. He said, it's a, it's a, you get three for four. Or, or four for, no, three for one. He said, no, four for one, you know. So he's going to try to squeeze in four different things here in, in one day. And so I think we'll enjoy that and be very profitable. And also the fact that it's, you know, so much will be tied right into where we are today, prophetically speaking, uh, in, the, in the end times calendar. So look forward to that in September. All right. Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, when do you, when are you heading back to Louisiana now, Nelson? In a week, you, so you probably won't be here next Sunday, maybe, still a maybe, okay, possibly, all right, well, we'll hang on to that then. What did I say, Ephesians? I meant Colossians. My last thought when I got up here was on Ephesians as I was thinking about a verse over there. Yeah, I meant Colossians chapter 3. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll get over there. Colossians chapter 3. And we're just going to read those first four verses. I don't know if we'll go farther than that or not, but uh, at least the first four this morning. Uh, where Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, a major turning point right here, those words, if ye then, is very important because Paul is going to change now his approach and he's going to turn from the, what we would call, I guess, the teaching portion, the didactic portion of this epistle to now the ethical portion. 
In other words, these are the things that have been revealed, that God has revealed to Paul, and he has uh, expressed them to the Colossian believers. And now, in chapter 3, he begins an exhortation to them of an ethical proportion, the practical application, in other words, of what these truths should mean in our lives. And I really think that this is a, a, heavy, a heavy transition. And it ought to be quite meaningful to us in the sense that oftentimes we do have a tendency to simply rest on the doctrine. Rest on the teaching and be satisfied that I have the truth. I know what the Bible says about the Messiah and about the promised coming kingdom in which he's going to rule over the earth. I know about the coming judgment. I know about the promise of life in him. And I know, no, no, all these things. But yet to translate them into our life and to see it have a ch an effect upon us to the point where it changes us and causes us to act differently. And we'll see here, well, we, in the verse we read, I'm gonna, I'll get ahead of myself, but then I'll come back and start all over again. But we see here that Paul said, your life is hid with God, or excuse me, with Christ in God. It is hidden. What has taken place in a person who receives the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledges him as the God-sent Messiah is not an outwardly visible thing to anyone else. It's hidden in, in Christ. It's hidden in God, with Christ. And so this thing that has happened, this receiving of Christ and the change that has taken place, which we'll see this morning, referenced as the, the new birth or being brought from above or born from above, is not something that's readily available to just anyone to see. But there are certain manifestations of the change that has taken place or should have been in our lives, and that's what Paul's exhorting these Colossian believers towards. So that when someone else takes note of us, that they can visibly see something different about that person. And so we're going to see some of those things as we proceed through this chapter. We won't be looking at them all this morning. It would be impossible. And so when he says, if ye then, and the word then in other places is translated as wherefore or therefore or sometimes verily. So you might, we could just as easily read this to say, if ye therefore be risen or if ye verily, truly be risen with Christ. What? 
seek those things which are above. And so to, <coughs> excuse me, this, this whole idea of being risen is just, um, I, I don't like bringing out all these things all the time, but sometimes they're, I feel like they're necessary, but it's in what's called the indicative mood. And it just means a simple statement of fact. If this is a fact that has occurred with you, if you have been risen with Christ, then you're to seek those things which are above. Now, of course, we've already gone through some passages that talked about this, this transaction that took place. As a matter of fact, just back in chapter 2 and verses 11, 12, and 13, Paul went through quite an extensive uh, description of what takes place in a person who has received the word of the truth of the gospel. And that's what Paul says in chapter 1 that these Colossians had done. They had received the word of the truth of the gospel, and here's what took place. There was a circumcision that was made without hands, he says, that took place in the inward man. And it was by the circumcision of Christ. And so we know it had to do, and they said it was the putting off of the flesh. And so the identification made there was not the literal circumcision of Christ on the eighth day as a newborn babe, but rather that which he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection and his dying for the sins of mankind. And then we were buried with him. He says, you are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. And we saw that word operation was the powerful working of God. Who hath raised him from the dead. And you, he says, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, made alive. So there was a, a death, there was a burial, there was a resurrection, there was a making alive. All of this took place. So this being the case, then he says, seek those things which are above, not those things which are on the earth. Seek those things which are above where Christ is or sits on the right hand of God. Seeking those things which are above. Not the idea that it, it's, it's lost and you're going to seek something that is unknown to us, but seeking with the idea of obtaining, to get something. And we use that word like that all the time. Somebody might say, well, I'm seeking a new job. Well, they're simply looking with the idea of obtaining. We can do the same thing with Christ. We seek the things that are above with the idea of obtaining the things that are above. Not the things, he says, that are on the earth. And of course, those things are to be obtained where Christ is, at the right hand of God. Look at Second Timothy chapter 2. For just a moment, Second Timothy, 
chapter 2. And verse, uh, excuse me, I said chapter 2, chapter 1. It's right there in front of me. It says 1. I don't know why I said 2. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. Very simple verse where he says regarding um, the seeking. He says, but when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently. That was Onesiphorus. And found me. Well, that's just an an example of the idea of the word seek and the way we use it. It's the same word here. Only here, he found. He was seeking out Paul, and he found him. Now, back in Matthew chapter 6, back to a very familiar passage, Matthew chapter 6, if you would, please, and verse 33. Let's turn there. And here we have a passage that's talking about seeking as well. And he talks about seeking as a matter of priority here. And this is the Lord Jesus speaking. And he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And so in view of their reception of Christ and all that had taken place within them inwardly, which is hid with Christ in God, now he says, outwardly pursue these things. Seek these things that are above. And the seeking of those things above is evidenced in an outward transformation. And so if we go back to Colossians chapter 3, He tells us there's a couple of things we need to do. Number one, mortify, in verse 5, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Put them to death. What are those things? Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. He tells us down in verse 8 to put off anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another. These are the things of the earth. But we're to do a transformation in putting on the things that begin in verse 12, where he says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, as the chosen ones of God, Dearly beloved, he says, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, tender mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one one another and forgiving one another. And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity. Or love, which is the bond of perfectness or completeness. And so this inward thing that took place by setting our affection on things above should have a change in our life. And it ought to be reflected in all these things that Paul mentioned here. A putting off of things that are identified or associated with the things of the earth. And all very negative sounding things. Things that if you turn on the TV, you read the newspaper, look on the internet, 
and you find those things everywhere. When you look at the, the, the scheme of the world, the things of the world, the cosmos, the ordered events of the world, the direction the world is heading, those are the kinds of things you see. Scheming, lying, deception, murder, anger, he says, fornication, inordinate affection or homosexuality. All of these things are associated with earth. The things that are associated with heaven, where Christ is at the right hand of God, where he sits, are the things that we ought to be seeking for. Those things that evidence to the world around us that there's something different about you. And of course, those things, I mean, I guess if you've, if I've heard them, I'm sure you have. I've heard many a testimony of a person who trusted Christ because they saw a change in someone else. I've even heard of people testifying that they went and asked this person, what is it so different about you? What, what? Or they've noticed a change that came over them suddenly and then it said, well, you know, what's going on with you? And they noticed the change and then it gave them an opportunity to tell them what Christ had done for them. And so for us to mingle around in the affairs of the world, which we have to do because we're in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. You see, we don't have to do the things that they do. We don't have to act the way they act. Our lives can reflect something different entirely. Now there's a, you know, this is not just a nicety just because you're a Christian that we ought to be doing these things. But if you look at verse 4, he tells us something about the outcome of this. He says, when Christ, <clears throat> and by the way, the word when there, if you look at Strong's Dictionary, he just says that word means whenever. Whenever, without respect to time, Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, who is that promise to? Well, it's only to the one who sets his affection on things above and not on the things of the earth or your mind. When it's talking about setting your affections, it's, it's uh, setting your mind, having a mindset that is towards heaven and towards the things that are associated with heaven. One of those things associated with heaven, he says here, is appearing with him in glory. Now, I read a couple of commentaries on this verse because I thought, well, I want to go see what they say about this word glory here. And my, my suspicions were confirmed that all that it, all they said was is that when Christ comes in his glory because we shall see him as he is and we will be like him that we're going to be there in glory also without any explanation as a matter of fact 
one commentator just kind of, you know, breezed right over and didn't, didn't really even mention it. But you see, for us who understand what the glory of Christ is, when he appears in his glory, now, I don't really want to, I don't want to say impose on you in the sense that we've been through it several times. I've been over it a number of times concerning what the glory of Christ is, the identification of it. It's, well, Matthew chapter 19 with the rich young ruler. He tells us there, when the Son of Man comes in his glory or sits on the throne of his glory. Matthew 25, 31 says, when the Son of of Man comes in his glory. The mother of James and John asked the Lord, when you come in your kingdom and glory, I'd like for each of my sons, one to sit on the right and one on the left. That's a pretty bold request, don't you think? But she was very sincere about that. And she understood exactly what that meant, Christ coming in his glory. And so when he says we will appear with him in his glory, that ought to tell us something about those Christians Those who claim to know Christ and yet have all their affections set right here on the things of the earth. And show no manifestation of any evidence that they belong to Christ, to anyone around them. And so the question then is, is, well, would that person appear with him in glory? But if you listen to the average, and I say average because not everybody says this. Preacher or Bible teacher or read the average commentary, just like two of them that I read this morning, and they don't make any mention whatsoever about the negative consequences of not appearing with Him in glory or not even being able to identify what the glory is. It's sort of like reading Romans 8 17. Where it says, if we suffer with him, we shall be glorified together with him. What does it mean to be glorified together with him? Well, because he has already been glorified and then will come in his glory, those who have suffered with Christ then will share in his glory. And that's the prospect that awaits for us. But Paul's heavy emphasis for us here is the change. That needs to take place. The change that is necessary. For us to be appearing with him. In glory. And so mortifying or putting to death. Well. What does it mean then? Mortify therefore your members. If we look back at verse 3. You might look at that and say. Well he already said you're dead. You're dead. (laughs) You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. What does he mean? You are dead, but yet you're to mortify your members. And by the way, that's really should say, for you died. It's a completed transaction. It's something that has already occurred to the one who has received Christ. 
You died and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, Paul says, manifest that. Make it known. Consequently, he says, therefore, because what has taken place within you in that inward circumcision, in that inward burial, and that death, that resurrection, and the new life, take the members of your body now and put them to death. And all the things that are associated with that, and all of these negative things that just really don't need a lot of explanation for us today. You know, if you'd if you'd asked me back in say nineteen sixty five, that's when I graduated from high school. If you'd asked me what most of these things here mean, I couldn't have told you from a man on the moon what those were all about. Inordinate affection. I wouldn't have had a clue. Evil concupiscence. No way. I still have trouble with that one today. I've got to look it up about every time I read it just to be sure I know what it means. Um, I don't even know if I'd have known what fornication was. But you don't. Have, you know, it's such a commonplace thing for us in our day and age, in which we live on TV. It can even be radio or the internet or wherever it be. We don't need a lot of explanation for what all these things mean and the the hideousness and the ugliness that goes along with them and the association of the lifestyles that are expressed by these words right here. And you see some pretty gruesome, ugly things in this world today. By the way, they were there in Paul's day too. Maybe not to the extent that it was a knowledge that was available to us like, you know, TV and Internet and all those sorts of things are. But it was in Paul's day as well. And he tells us there, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now, you know, if we were to, were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if we were to look at Galatians chapter 5, if we were to look at Ephesians chapter 5, we would find some similar lists of sins, just like we find right here in Colossians chapter 3. And at the conclusion of those three passages in 1 Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians, he tells us there that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here he tells us the wrath of God is coming on those who do such things. You know, when you think about not receiving the inheritance, you really should be thinking about the wrath of God all at the same time because they're associated one with the other one. The negative proportions of judgment that will be meted out 
will also result in not receiving or inheriting the kingdom of God. And so that's why Paul's warning here carries such weight with it. The wrath of God is coming on the sons, King James says children, on the sons of disobedience. And by the way, the word cometh there is just like the word, most ETH endings in the King James. It's in the present tense, is coming. On the sons of disobedience. A person who has not received what the Colossian believers did. Now just think about the city of Colossae. You know, not everybody received this gospel message. There were some there who didn't even hear. Without a doubt. And we're totally unaware of this good news message, this gospel that Paul was preaching and that Epaphras had proclaimed to the Colossian uh, church or to the ones who received the gospel. And yet he tells us here in speaking to those who have experienced. The things that we just talked about in chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 13, those who had received that circumcision inwardly, those who had been buried, risen again with Christ, made alive, he now talks about being sons of disobedience and walking waywardly and committing these sins that he speaks of. And we're not to be associated with those things. That was the old way of life. That was the old way of living. Those were the things associated with the earth. We're now separated from those things. Now we better act like it. Because our life is hid with Christ in God, we better be manifesting the kinds of things he talks about down here in verses 12 and 13 and 14. And, of course, he gives a further list of the kinds of things he's talking about, about putting off these various things of anger, wrath, malice, and blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lying, and putting off the old man with his deeds. For when a person receives Christ, then there becomes a responsibility on our part to act in accordance with what we believed and what we have received. Putting off the old man with his deeds and putting on the new. I want us to, boy, let's go back and look at John chapter 3 for a minute. John's Gospel and Chapter 3. And one of the more familiar verses in all the Bible would be John chapter 3 and verse 3, where Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, said, 
unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course, you understand that that word born again is, the little word there is to be born from above. Or the word born is ganao, to be brought forth from above. In receiving of Christ, there is a bringing forth out of heaven, from above, to be brought forth out of God. And when Notice back here, if I kept your finger, I hope, in Colossians. But in chapter 3 there, he says, Set your affection on things above. Well, it's the same word. Now, the, the word in, in John chapter 3 is a compound word, but it's the same word. It's above. So not only... When we receive Christ, as these Colossian believers had done in chapter 1, where he said, For you have received the word of the truth of the gospel, having been born from above, and knowing these things, now he says, set your affection on things above. Put your mind, set your mind on the things that are out of God. That are heavenly. You don't have an association with with the things down here. On the earth any longer. But it's only in God. And because of that then he says. When Christ who is our life shall appear. Then will you also appear with him in glory. And you'll notice. Well it doesn't say there. You can't notice it unless you've looked it up. The word life there. It's the word zoe. And the word zoe is a light, is a word that were the word for life. There's three words, life, translated in the New Testament. Bios or bios, which we get our words biology and so on from. And then we have suke, the soul, the life of the person. And then we have zoe. And that word is always associated with the life that God possesses. And it is the life that God promises to give here. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then, he says, shall you appear with him in glory. It is the life that is promised in his messianic rule. For instance, when you see the word eternal Life, it's not eternal suke, it's not eternal soul, it's eternal zoe. It's the life that is associated with the millennial reign, with the messianic rule, because it is the life that God gives to those who are in Christ and who have manifested the things that he's talking about right here. Of course, all of this is associated with the judgment seat of Christ. And having passed through the judgment and having received a well done, thou good and faithful servant from Christ, 
than those who enter into that kingdom to share in his rule and reign will receive the promise of the life that he said he would give in his rule, in that messianic kingdom. And to not have that life, to not possess it then, is to experience death, to not get it. Now, it doesn't mean that there's no more, you know, in the sense that we think of dying here, that there's no more existence. But you're not going to be a possessor of that life that God promises in his kingdom. So that word life becomes very important to us there, to know what kind of life he is talking about, the life that he promises to give. And so without you know, reading through this list necessarily of every single word and you know, drawing out every meaning and, and nuance that goes with them and looking up all the cross-references and passages that we could look at regarding these kinds of things, but simply to know that we are to actively put off the things that are associated with the world. That changes our conduct. That changes how we deal with people. That changes how we should treat people, how we should react to people, whether it's here within the confines of the body of Christ or whether it's out there in relationship to the world. It changes. It has to change. If no change takes place, then we cannot expect the promise of the life in the millennial rule. Now, there's a far more associated with it, than, but I'm just dealing specifically with what Paul's telling us here in the book of Colossians. Verse 14, he sums all of these things up with a word that we've talked about before, love or charity, as being the, the prime, overall, overarching characteristic that governs all these other characteristics that we are to put on. In other words, a humble mind without love, I think Paul could very well have said it in 1 Corinthians 13, a, 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 a person who has love, or, or excuse me, a person who is humble but doesn't have love, it would be like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. A person who has mercies or kindness without love would be like sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, you can't really have these things without or you cannot really express what Paul's talking about here in Christ without having love as the governing principle to guide all of these other characteristics that we are to put on. Look, do turn back to Psalm 15 for a moment.
In Psalm 15, there's an interesting question posed by the psalmist here regarding who is it, who is the person, he says, who shall abide in thy tabernacle, who shall dwell in thy holy hill. What is the holy hill? Why would you even want to abide there? Why would you want to dwell there? Well, let's turn back a couple more pages to Psalm 2. And let's see if we can get a picture here of what the apostle is talking about so we know why his instructions in Colossians 3 are so weighty. If you look in... Psalm 2, I hope I said, did I say Psalm 2? I did, good. Somehow I thought I said something else. Psalm 2 and verse 6. I wish I had time to set this all in perspective uh, regarding this verse, but I don't, so I'm just going to read it. He says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. The holy hill of Zion. Zion, of course, representing the earthly kingdom of Israel. And the word set there means he's appointed or um, established his king upon his holy hill of Zion. Speaking prophetically here uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in in Psalm 15, when he asked the question then, who will abide in my holy hill? He's talking about being associated, the person being associated with God in his holy hill of Zion. Zion is the place, well, it's just, it was a a little city on the edge of the hill right where the tabernacle or the temple temple was located. And it was associated with the whole area there because it was the place where the king resided. It was, it was uh, David's city, Zion. And the question being asked there is, who will abide in thy holy hill? What kind of person is it that would be chosen, selected by God, to abide in such a place, to dwell with him in such a place. And he goes on through this psalm then to simply describe for us, to lay out for us the kinds of qualities and characteristics that he would want to see in that kind of person. And the first thing was that he that walketh uprightly. He does right before his fellow man. He works righteousness. He speaks the truth in his heart. Verse 3, he does not backbite with his neighbor. He doesn't do evil to his neighbor. He doesn't take up a reproach against his neighbor. Verse 4, he says, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honors them that fear the Lord. He that swears to his own hurt and changes not. Boy, that's a very highly principled person that would swear to his own hurt. In other words, I'll take the beating. 
I'm not going to do anything that would allow me to escape the due that is coming to me. I'll accept it. And in verse 5, he that puts not out his money to usury. In other words, he handles his money well. And he doesn't use it in an abusive manner. And that's what he's talking about here, putting it out to usury, charging excessive interest for a loan that he makes to people. Nor takes reward, by the way, all you got to do is look at credit card companies there, don't we? They've been in the news a lot about that lately. Abusive, excessive interest charges. Nor takes reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. To not be moved from such a place. The person who exhibits those kinds of character qualities in his life is the kind of person whom God will choose to dwell in his holy hill. That is to simply abide with him, to be with him in association with him. And so Paul, Paul's instructions back here in Colossians chapter 3 are nothing new. They were, they were very well understood by the Jew, although they didn't ob- always obey it by any means. But there were those in David's day, just as there were in Paul's day, and just as there are in our day, who truly and genuinely are seeking those things that are above. Now, there are many people who want those things that are above, but that's another thing altogether. You see, to want that and then not live a life that's associated with it, that's something else. But to truly seek after it and then make the changes in my life to go along with what I'm seeking, that's another thing altogether. And so Paul's admonition to these Colossian believers and to us as well today is that we need to be about change. Not the kind of change that our president is asking for, but the kind of change that identifies one with the Savior, with the Lord Jesus Christ. The kind of change that will result in the coming day in our association with Jesus Christ and the kind of change that will result in, in him saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What's the other option? Don't enter into the joy of the Lord. I don't like the sounds of those words, to be honest with you. That's a fearful thing to think that I would not be able to do that. And I want to. But you know what? If I want to, then I've got to be changing. I've got to change my life from what it used to be. And I trust that that's your desire as well. And you will seek that kind of change. And do those kind of tough, tough decisions. Because making those kinds of changes often means that we have to disassociate ourselves from some people that we've been used to associating with. And it may mean that. 
I know it meant that for me. And I had to do it. And it was not an easy thing to do. And I didn't like it. But I had a, I, I valued and my, my relationship with Christ to a far greater degree. And so we have to do those things. But we, we're not left without the resources to do it. We have the power of God's Holy Spirit and his mighty working. You remember Paul's words with the, the powerful working of God in us and the mighty energy that he energizes in us to do those very things. But you know what it takes? It does this. It's this. You've got to be willing to make the step. You know, as long as you stand over here and say, I really would like to do that. I long for it. I desire it. I want that change. It isn't ever going to happen. But if you're willing to take the step, say, Lord, because I believe this is what I need to do, I'm going to make this step. I'm going to choose to do whatever it is here that I need to do. You will literally be amazed at the power that God will work in your life to enable you to do it. And the only reason I can say that is because I know what he's done for me. And I've got, I'm not saying I'm there yet either. I've got a ways to go. I've got a ways to go. And so I can't quit. I've got to keep on keeping on. Let's do that today. Father, we thank you for this privilege, for this joy that's ours in Christ. To live for him to experience the power of God at work in our lives when we step out in faith, knowing and believing in what you've said is the truth. And knowing and believing, Father, that what you've said you will do in the future, when the Lord appears, is what you're going to do for us. I pray, Father, that you would do that mighty work in our hearts. And we do pray, Father, for those that were not here today, for those that are on this list and people that we've longed to pray for and desired to pray for and do pray for, that you would work great things in their lives. We do pray for them again today, Lord, that you would just accomplish all that you would for them, be it their physical needs uh, or whatever else it might be, Father, that you would supply for them. Grant us this day the joy of living and walking in in a, a country that is free, but yet we see some mighty changes taking place, Lord, and I pray that you would give us the grace to live for you no matter what may come. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.